Oh, Hal, you know what time it is. Why do you always do this like you're the hype man at an NCAA? I love doing that for any Max Fun Drive anything because in my mind, it's the moment when those lights that are the audience blinders like and start to rise up. Yeah, you know what time it is. Okay, fine. It's Max Fun Drive, Hal. Mm -hmm. So we're doing something special today. (laughs) Yeah, while you're rubbing the stars out of your eyes, we are here to do a special. We're doing a feed swap. We got an episode going out. On their feed, and now coming to us for the fourth time ever. Yeah. Not the last is Ben Blacker, our friend, not only from Philly Venture Hour, but one of the minds behind Dead Pilot Society. That's right. Maximum Funds, dare I say, best podcast. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks for letting us borrow an episode and put it on our feed. I'm excited for folks to hear it. You guys have appeared in a few Dead Pilot Society episodes, and so I feel like we need to get the work out there. People need to hear when you do six or seven characters in one podcast. Oh, man. it's, it's so Tell people about Dead Pilot Society because I remember when you first started doing this, I was so excited about it. Tell folks what it is. Yeah, Dead Pilot Society is a monthly podcast here on the Maximum Fun Network. My partner, Andrew Reich, who is a longtime Friends writer, he's been in the business for years. He has written something like 12 or 15 pilots that have sold but not been made. And a few years ago, he was like, I like these. I wish I could get them out there somehow. So he created Dead Pilot Society and he brought me in because he knew my work on Thrilling Adventure Hour to be a producer with him on it. So what we do is live table reads of pilots that were bought and developed, but never shot. So it's very often the writer's first time hearing the script that they wrote performed by actors. We give these shows the table reads they so richly deserve. With some pretty fantastic actors. Can you talk about how you guys cast these, like how this whole thing works? Yeah, we've been lucky in casting in that, like, it's a fun thing. There are no stakes. Uh, As we say to the writers when we ask them for their scripts, we're like, there are no notes. There are no focus groups. Everybody just has a good time. So, yeah, we, we reach out to actors that we know and love, like you guys. We reach out to actors that we don't know but love, like Carrie Mulligan. And Richard E. Grant did a recent episode, which was a thrill. Uh, and that one written by Emerald Fennell, who is now Oscar. Uh, when, when people hear this, we'll say Oscar loser. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Set that bar. Set it right now. What, what uh, but it's about, a great script anyway. Yeah. What I love about the show and I love about your involvement with the show is not only are you a supremely talented writer in your own right. Thank but, you. But you also love writing. You love the process of writing and you love television and love movies. And that really facilitates a lot of care being taken with a script that people would otherwise never get to see. And and sometimes I I would imagine there's a little bit of hesitancy around that. Like, uh, do I really want to throw this out there? But you are definitely the right person to bring those scripts out and put together the cast recorded. Yeah. I mean, it's very important to us that like, we don't make fun of it. These aren't like so bad that you want to laugh at it. These are good scripts. We own, we have actually a pretty tough vetting process where we really only take scripts that we love and we think would be great reads. And then we do, uh, we release two episodes a month. One is the table read with all the actors, and that's a lot of fun. And then the other half of it is an interview with the writer, which can be, you know, from 30 to 60 minutes, going real deep inside the process of like what went wrong, uh, when, <laughs> when the script is bought but not made. Uh, and those are endlessly fascinating to me. I really love those conversations. Yeah. Anybody who listens to our show 
this is a slam dunk new podcast yeah. to add if it's yeah. not already in your feed. And it's a great look at what, like, you don't even realize the process of getting a show made or even getting a pilot bought to be scripted in the first place. It's such a crazy process. What episode are our listeners going to get to hear right now? I wanted to pick an episode that had both of you in it. So there are a couple of those. Um, and I decided to choose our second episode that we ever produced or that we ever released, I guess, that we recorded back at San Francisco Sketchfest in like 2017, oh, I we think. We were such babies. Oh, Did we ever know? Were we ever so young? Never. Um, this is a script by our friend John Hodgman called Only Child. <laughs> And this was, I should say, this was well before Pen15. And the premise mm -hmm. of the script was John, as an adult, would play himself at 13 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of the other kids in it would be kids. This was developed for FX, I believe. And uh, there's a great interview with Hodgman about how this didn't go. But it's a great script. And I was listening to it the other day. And I was like listening to that one and then the more recent script that you guys had done. And I came to this part where, Hal, you were playing uh, a coach. <laughs> uh Hodgman's co gym coach your performance was so funny I was like oh we we have to play this one for people uh, but you guys are both great in this thanks I remember that show that show was yeah. so much fun and this was our introduction really yeah. to dead pilots and uh thank you for jumping onto our feed this is very exciting for all of the fans of we got this this feels like a fun thing that needs to happen more often it's max fun drive it's it's a party, everybody. Let's mingle. Mix it up. Uh, so thanks <laughs> for mixing mingle. it up with us today. And Thank you. while we're on the subject of Max Fun Drive, Hal, tell folks what to do. When you set up your recurring monthly contribution to become a member at Max Fun, or when you increase your membership, they're going to ask you, as the new timers are finding out now and the old timers already know, they're going to ask you what shows you listen to. And those are the shows that will directly benefit from your contribution. So make sure when you're checking those boxes to check off, not only we got this with Mark and Hal, but Dead Pilot Society, which is a fantastic show, which if you don't know, you're about to know, and it definitely deserves your support. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ben Blagger. And uh, here is Dead Pilot Society. Welcome to the second episode of the Dead Pilot Society podcast. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. You know, in series television, the executives always want you to recap the concept of your show every episode for about the first six. So here goes. Dead Pilot Society takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. If you haven't already listened to our first episode featuring a dead pilot by Tom Lennon and Robert Ben Garant, well, you really should. We've got another treat for you this time. It's a dead pilot written by the amazing John Hodgman. Many of you may know John as the PC in those Mac versus PC ads from years ago. John's also a former resident expert on The Daily Show, a best-selling author, a fantastic stand-up and actor, as well as the host of the Judge John Hodgman podcast, on our very own Maximum Fun Network. We recorded the reading of John's pilot, Only Child, at this year's San Francisco Sketch Fest. It's an autobiographical pilot about his teen years, and in his interview before the reading with my co-host Ben Blacker, 
He explains his unique vision for how the show would have been cast. I love this pilot, and what I especially love is how immediately fully formed the character of John Hodgman is. People think it must be easy to write yourself as a character, but I found it to be quite difficult. John does it so well. His character's take on things is consistently specific and surprising and hilarious, and it's such a pleasure to hear him read it. I have to confess that when I read the script, I, I liked it okay, but I didn't realize how funny it was until I heard John and the rest of the cast read it. It's one of the big lessons of Dead Pilot Society, which is that with comedy pilots, there was really no substitute for hearing them read out loud in front of an audience. So I hope you enjoy the reading of Only Child and Ben Blacker's interview with John, which you'll hear after a quick message. Are you easily confused by terms like cultural appropriation, cisgender, and woke? Or maybe you find yourself constantly explaining terms like these and you need a place to vent. Do you have a love for all things pop culture, social commentary, and politics? Sounds Sounds like like you you need need Minority Corner. Corner. Where you can learn, laugh, and play. Sounds like Blue's Clues. Only it's more black, gay, and ladylike. James and Ineke will happily administer your weekly dose each and every Friday. You can listen on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Minority Corner. With the K. Because the C was taken. Shall we bring out the uh, author of our next pilot? Yes, let's do. Let's do that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Hodgman. Did he leave? (laughs) We're lucky to have him. We're lucky. John, come, come over here and talk to us for a minute. Uh, John, there's a, a, there's a huge hedge maze backstage. <laughs> I just had to give it a try. Did you find my axe? I left it back there. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I almost froze to death too. Uh, hi, John, hi, Ben. Hi, John. Thank you so much for sharing this pilot with us and for being here. Thank you. And I, that was the most insincere way of expressing a sentiment that I feel very sincerely. <laughs> This I this pilot is called Only Child. Yes, uh, it is. It is absolutely one of my favorite pilots that I have read, oh, made you. or not made. Thank uh, you very so much. I, I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Can you tell us a little bit about where this pilot came from and the process? I wrote of it. making it. <laughs> so it came from your brains. I wrote it with some of my brain ideas, <laughs> but they were ideas easy to come by because I uh, am an only child and grew up as one, and I have said before, that makes me a member of the Worldwide Super Smart Afraid of Conflict Narcissist Club. (laughs) And the pilot is based on a a true-life thing that happened in my house, which is that my parents and I uh, moved to Brookline, Massachusetts in the 70s, and my mom, sure, it's (laughs) an affluent suburb of Boston. That's about, that's about the uh, amount of hometown pride it deserves. <laughs> One quiet golf clap. I taught at Brookline High. Did you know that? I did know that, but I forgot until this moment. You weren't there. Th- you weren't there then. No. When yes. did you teach at Brookline High School? I taught at Brookline High in, I want to say, 2003. The, the most polite young children 
They yes. were all lovely and very sharp. Yes. They were very sharp. I should have, I should have cast you as the, as the music teacher in this. The music teacher is named, uh, Dr. Mister. Uh, he is based, <laughs> he is based, he was based on the music teacher that I had at Brookline High School whose name was Mr. Doctor. <laughs> very sly. <laughs> He'll never come after you. A man who later then got a doctorate. How could he not? Wacky times in Brookline, Massachusetts. Uh, Can you tell us about, were you approached to write a pilot and did you pitch this pilot? Uh, It was for FX. It was for FX. And I I had been working with them on uh, Married. uh, And there was some talk about would I ever want to do a TV show. And uh, I, I... I was telling stories about being an only child in my equivalent to a stand-up act. And the, <laughs> the, the stories I was telling were about my mom and dad and I living in this huge house. So it was three people living in a house with 19 rooms um, that my mom had bought for a song because it was falling apart and was a commune uh, before we bought it. And so we rented out sections of the house to students and uh, BC students and, and uh, different young professionals and divorced people, basically. Uh, and there was one section of the house that um, was essentially a self-contained apartment. And when one of the tenants moved out, and I was just in high school at that point, I said, I am going to move into that apartment. I had a perfectly big, beautiful room that I had never had to share in my life already, but I needed an apartment because I'm 14 years old and I I've earned it, you know? (laughs) And it was all part of my ploy to uh, skip the terror of sexual adolescence and just immediately become uh, the sexless gentleman bachelor that I envisioned as my perfect self. (laughs) And I was telling these stories and they said, would you want to, you should do that as a story. And I'm like, "Eh, everyone has a dumb autobiographical story. And what would I do in this show? Uh, play my own dad. I need a job. You know what I mean? I can't. And then it occurred to me that the best way for me as a narcissist to have the best role in my own show was to play myself as a 14 year old. (laughs) And I became very interested in that. (laughs) And the idea would be, and it'll be clear in the script, but it just to underline it, that that uh, that I would play myself as a 14-year-old, but everyone else would be cast age-appropriately. So all my teenage high school friends would be played by teenagers. <laughs> and my mom and dad would be played by people who might be a little younger than me. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I pitched it to a number of different places. FX was always the front runner, and they were the ones who eventually bought it to, for me to write it as a script. But there was another another cable company uh, a cable network, not a cable company. Uh, <laughs> there was another, and they said, well, we, we, you know, we, we heard the pitch. It sounds very sweet. And, you know, we're very edgy. We want to put edgy content on. I'm like, what? The, the image of a 45 year old man almost kissing a 14 year old girl. <laughs> I mean, I guess we could go to kissing if that would help. But ultimately, FX uh, bought it. Uh, uh, we had a great time working on it together, um, but it fell by the wayside as things do. So this is a really beautiful opportunity for me to share it with people because I, I really like it. And the best part about it is that we actually got teenagers 
to read the teenage roles. All right, please, a round of applause for Only Child by John Hodgman. Okay. Thank you. We are exterior on a tree-lined street in Brookline, Massachusetts, and close on an 11-year-old boy bicycling down the street. Miles Horchow is 11. He's got a 7-year-old brother named Simon who's 5 inches taller than Miles and runs around his house naked all the time. We widen to reveal another 11-year-old boy bicycling. Edmund Park just turned 12. He's a twin sister and an older brother. They all do archery, and they all sleep in the same bed. We widen to reveal a third 11-year-old boy, John Hodgman. But this child is played by a grown man, also bicycling. I'm John, and I'm an only child. A lot of people think only children are weird and lonely, but they're out of their minds. I have my own room, my own life. I'm basically a grown man. The kids crest a hill. Miles and Edmund pull ahead of John. Look at those guys, riding like they're escaping prison. But I'm in no rush. I've already arrived. (laughs) Down the hill from John's POV, we see Ed lose control and go down hard. Miles turns around wildly to help his friend. Jesus! John is still at the top of the hill, smiling blandly, looking out over Brookline, Massachusetts. This whole thing happened three years ago. I'm not really friends with those guys anymore. I'm just using them to introduce myself. (laughs) Wait. Does that make me a monster? Jesus, John, get down here. John blinks back to reality. He bikes down the hill. The theme song plays, Ivor Cutler's A Donut in My Hand. We're interior John's bedroom morning. A brief credit sequence revealing objects from John Hodgman's bedroom. Bloom County comics, bunk bed, a figurine of the alien from the movie Alien, the Ivor Cutler LP turning. John, now 14, types on an IBM Selectric 2 at a kid's desk. There's a subtitle, three years later, March 21st, 1984. Then the power goes out. The LP stops turning. The IBM Selectric 2 dies. Oh, really? Again? He exits to the second floor hallway. He walks through the enormous house at 44 Circuit Road. He encounters a boarder, Alex, an Argentine physician in his 40s. John, it has happened again. I know. Have you seen her? She could be anywhere in this garden of forking paths. John walks upstairs to the third floor landing. A door at the top of the landing opens and two enormous Siamese cats race out. John screams. Ah! Another boarder, Bridget, a nurse in her 30s, emerges behind them. Sorry, that's to a cat chick crazy. What's up with the light? Yeah, I'm looking for her. I have to shave my pits is all. Okay. John continues on to a half-open door. He knocks. Mr. Ross, I mean, Paul. Yeah, come in. John enters the apartment currently occupied by Paul Ross, 30s, handsome, a teacher, standing at a hot plate. John hates Paul, but loves this apartment, especially the living room with built-in bookshelves and a skylight. John, hey, uh, why won't this work? The power's out, Paul. Oh, I guess I didn't notice because of the skylight. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, Paul. <laughs> Thanks for calling me Paul. I mean, when we're not at school, right? Yeah. Why not? No problem, Paul. (laughs) Why don't you try the stove in the big kitchen? It's got gas. Great! I'm making scrambled eggs. Paul goes out where John came in. John rolls his eyes and then crosses to another door that opens to a back staircase. 
He descends to the second floor landing and finds what he's looking for. A woman in her 40s smoking precariously aloft on a rickety stepladder installing a sconce. This is John's mom. You have to leave that alone, mom. I just wanted to see how this looked in here. The boarders are complaining. Hmm? Oh, right. You want me to turn the power back on? Oh, thank you. Wait, no. No, I can do it. No, I'm the grown-up. She takes her cigarette and starts to get off the ladder. John maneuvers around her and continues down the back stairs. As he reaches the second floor, the stairs open to his dad's study. He finds his dad in his 40s, somewhat haplessly turning his old PC clone on and off, on and off. Dad, the power's out. Ah, <laughs> oh, that would explain it. What's she doing now? Changing sconces on the stairway. Oh, no, I like those. No, you're thinking of the ones on the main stairs. I'm talking about the sconces on the back stairs from Paul's apartment. I didn't know we had sconces there. There are sconces everywhere. <laughs> Dad turns around and sees sconces on the wall. He startles. Oh, that's creepy. They hide. They hide in plain sight. Hey, hey, can I get my typewriter back? When I'm done with my memoirs. John continues down the back stairs to the kitchen, where he now finds Paul staring at the burner of a huge six-burner gas stove with a flashlight. How do you get this thing to work? We see he has a cold pan full of raw eggs. You you need to light it with a match. Ah, right. Yep. He grabs a box of matches. But if you if you had the gas on, Paul lights a match and sets it to the gas, which erupts in a huge fireball. <laughs> he jumps back. Wow. Are you are you okay? Yeah, I'm I'm fine. Paul puts the pan on the fire and feels his eyebrows. You you, <laughs> you can't just cook the eggs raw like that. You have to heat up the pan or they'll stick. I. I think I burned my eyebrow off. <laughs> just, oh, just let me do it. He grabs some butter and lets it melt in a new pan. I smoked a little pot this morning. Uh, I don't want, I... Uh, and I really want scrambled eggs. Okay. John scrambles the eggs in the cold pan. The world is full of hopeful analogies and handsome, dubious eggs called possibilities. That's George Eliot. John is not comfortable. He pours the scrambled eggs into the heated pan. It's crazy, but I think a little pot makes me a better teacher. I make new connections. Oh, my God, what are you doing? John prods the eggs with a spatula. I'm just turning the corners up here, and the rest of the egg sort of flows underneath. That's magical and gross. <laughs> I just saw it on the frugal gourmet. <laughs> You know what? You should host a cooking show. Uh, I've thought about it. <laughs> but right now I'm thinking more of a writer, memoirist, or maybe a public radio host or a movie critic. Well, I bet you could do anything you set your mind to. You're an only child, right? Yeah, you know that, Paul. Me too! Super smart, afraid of conflict, narcissist club forever! <laughs> I've had a lot of therapy. John stares him down. This cuts a little too close. I hate being divorced, but in a way, I'm so excited right now to be 35 and just getting into pot. Okay. <laughs> At this point, you take the eggs off the burner. The residual heat in the pan will cook them through. Cool. 
Then the power goes on. Every appliance in the kitchen whirs to life full speed. It's very loud. Whoops! I was pressing a lot of buttons down here. (laughs) A fuse blows. The power goes out again. Shit! Where is the flashlight? Excuse me. Okay, see you at school. (laughs) John is mortified. He takes the flashlight from Paul and walks down to the basement where he finds Mom in the dark. He hands her the flashlight. Here you go. Paul had it. She starts rooting through a box of fuses. Thanks. They just all blew suddenly. Did you know that Paul smokes pot? What? How do you know? And he doesn't know how to make scrambled eggs. (laughs) Do do we need to talk about pot? No, thank you. Because I tried it once, I didn't like it. I said no, thank you. I know. I know. I have to make an effort. Pot. Wow. Should I call the school? Should, should I evict him? When? I feel bad for him, though. His, his wife left him for a married couple. There are threesome now. When, when are you going to evict him? No, no, I can't. You know, he's got nowhere to go. It'll wait till summer. Can I have his apartment? What? You have a room. I'm 14 now. I need space. And you could repaint up there. Don't you manipulate me. If you want it so much, you evict him. I can't evict him. I'm a kid. Ah, precisely. Go to school. (laughs) John leaves. We see a brief montage of John going to school. John on the Boston MTA with his briefcase and his overcoat. (laughs) Then joined by a skate rat, we will soon learn is Tim Fitch. John and Fitch walk up to Brookline High School. Paul, stoned, walking into his office, marked guidance counselor. Wyatt Senek teaching John how to program an Apple II. We're exterior of the high school track field. Coach Mack, in his 70s, in a track suit, lines up the PE class. All right, it's spring. We gotta run the horny out of you creeps. Win sprints. Hodgman and Fitch are standing next to each other. All right, asthma and weirdo. Do trust falls. <laughs> Hodgman and Fitch peel off. By the bleachers, John and Fitch do a series of increasingly dangerous trust falls as they talk. And it has built-in bookshelves. For what? Books. Every time you open a book, you turn off your brain. Uh, That's pretty much the opposite of all conventional wisdom. (laughs) Think about it. When you read a book, your eyes are down, right? You're not seeing anything. But if your eyes are up here, looking, you're you're looking, you're seeing, you're seeing. Boom, there's a house. Boom, there's a bird. Boom, there's a plastic bag flying through the air. What what kind of bird? I don't know. A nice bird, not a crow. A book would tell you what kind of bird. I check the book and the bird flies away. Now where the fuck am I? What, What am I even looking for? What am I seeing? How things are, dude. This place is full of nice birds and nice houses. Everyone is doing okay. All your problems are dumb. Out of nowhere, a plastic bag hits him in the face. See? You didn't even see that bag coming, and I told you about it forever ago. It smells like scallops. (laughs) Hey, let me ask you. Are you gay? What? What? People are wondering. What? Who's one? Why are they wondering? No offense, but you never go after girls. You act like someone's dad, and you dress like, uh, what's the guy? I don't know. You know, the show you like, that gay hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. (laughs) Doctor Who? Yeah. 
point is, no one knows what to make of you. So they jump to the question, why is he so gay? Maybe it's because he's gay? I have to admit it makes sense. (laughs) So? Well, I've never thought of myself as gay, but I don't want to seem small-minded. I, uh, I, I looked at a playgirl once. <clears throat> really? Yeah, I never told you that story. Fuck no. Ed, <clears throat> Ed Park fell off his bike. We're exterior, tree-lined street in Brookline three years ago. We flash back to the opening scene. John, Miles, and Edmund are sitting in the street amidst their bikes. Edmund is crying. Miles looks to John. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Nothing is ever okay. He bikes off in angry tears. Miles and John look after him. Wow. Then. What are you faggots up to? We see CJ walk out of the woods. An older kid and a bully. (laughs) Who's that? Older kid. What's up, CJ? Is that kid okay? I think so. I've never seen a Chinese kid cry. (laughs) I think he's Korean, actually. Whatever. Didn't think their eyes worked that way. Sean and Miles don't know what to say. Come on, let's go to the junkyard. You know the secret way in? Yep. I didn't know this town had a junkyard. No, fuck you didn't. Come on, I could die any day. I have to pass this knowledge on. I have to see this. We're exterior the entrance to the tunnel. John, Miles, and CJ crawl through a culvert to the junkyard. In the junkyard, the boys scrounge through a huge pile of junk. Miles and John on one side, CJ off in the distance. I haven't seen you at after school. Yeah, no, I gotta get home in time for fresh air. (laughs) Whoa. Look at this, an original alien figurine. They made these for children. Did you see it? No, but I read the comic. It's a grim vision of the future, and John Hurt's stomach explodes. But you know, I'd still live in space. Those hibernation pods look cool. My dad's a psychiatrist, but I don't want to be one. Hmm. Whatever I do, I know I want a life of adventure. You probably won't, though. You'll have a normal life. Why would you say that? (laughs) You're just normal, like everyone else. As John processes this betrayal. (laughs) Pay dirt. CJ holds up a stack of Playboys and other skin mags. I call dibs on the hustlers. You can have the Playboys. They're gay. (laughs) No, thank you. Are you kidding me? You turn your back on this, it's Peter. Yeah, no, no thank you. No thanks. I-, I want the Playboys. This is an offense to every kid who ever snuck into the junkyard. Some kid got tetanus and died here. <laughs> Can I have the Playboys? <laughs> That's right you do. He hands them to Miles and turns to John. What's wrong with you? We're interior Miles' room later. John and Miles are sitting on the floor reading Playboys. Simon, the little brother, runs through in his underwear. Naked! Naked! Ugh. I'm beginning to feel there are no repercussions in this life. Simon runs back, now completely naked. He's followed by their dad, Dr. Horchow, in his 40s. Simon, let's be reasonable. What do you have there? He takes in the scene, then calmly takes the playboys. Come with me, Miles. Miles does. They exit. John sits in the room uncomfortably. Simon is curled up in a ball like the alien in Alien. He slowly uncurls, laughing. (laughs) 
okay, I've had enough. Goodbye. <laughs> We're exterior of the bleachers, and we flash back to the present day. So the next time I went over, all the old Playboys were gone, and instead he had one brand new Playboy and one brand new Playgirl. His dad bought them for him. Seriously? It's a very liberal household. (laughs) So, anyway, I had a look at it then. Yeah? And? I don't know. All I could think about was Miles' dad going out and buying dirty magazines for his son. It was too weird. There you go. Books fuck you up. (laughs) (laughs) I had a pretty good interview with Steve Martin, actually. (laughs) Anyway, you should probably figure out about the gay thing. Yeah, I guess you're right. Do you still have that alien figurine? Yes. But Joe Dropkin sat on it and broke it, and I will never forgive him. Lost in angry memory, John fails to catch Fitch in the trust fall. (laughs) We're interior of the music room. Woodwind quartet rehearsal. Flute, oboe, bassoon, and John on clarinet. Mozart's cassation for wind quartet in E-flat major. As he plays, John keeps his eye on Posey, 14, the oboist. As music continues, we flash back to a movie theater one year ago. Subtitle, one year ago today. John is seeing Witness with a group of kids. Posey is sitting next to him. John is watching the movie. She is watching him. At a tense moment in the movie, she grabs his hand. Terrified, he continues to stare at the screen. After a few moments, she lets go of his hand, defeated. We flash forward to the music room. Today, at this memory, John stops playing and gasps. Oh my God, that was a date. (laughs) (laughs) The music teacher, Dr. Mister, in his 50s, is unhappy. Stop, stop, stop. John, what what was that? I'm sorry, I I just, I had a revelation. Well, well, don't do that. The bassoonist, a guy with braces, 15, raises his hand. Mr. Mister? It's, it's Dr. Mr. Brad. <laughs> I'm supposed to put my retainer back in now. Uh, okay, we'll break. Oboe, clarinet, bassoon, work on your reeds. The flautist, a girl named Tina, 17, stands up. Yeah, I'm out of here. See you, nerds. <laughs> the bassoonist puts his retainer in and moans. John approaches Posey as she breaks in a new double reed. John gamely scrapes his clarinet's single reed. You, re- you really make your own reeds? My teacher actually cuts the can and all that. I just buy them off her and finish them. Oh. She sells them all over town. It pays for antipsychotics. <laughs> Life must be easy with a single reed. <laughs> Posey, that time we went to the movies last year? I remember it. That was a date, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was. I'm sorry. I thought it was just a friend thing. I know. It's fine. I, at that time, did you wonder if I was gay? <laughs> uh, no. I mean, should I? I don't know. <laughs> Would you want to see another movie? Like a test? To see if you're gay? Maybe. But no, okay, no, never never mind. I mean, it's fine, yes. Okay. They continue to work on their reads. 
was a going home from school montage. John waits for the trolley with his briefcase. Paul waves at him from his sob. John is disgusted. (laughs) Posey gets picked up by her dad. She's excited. We're interior John's house in the evening. John opens many doors and finally finds a long pass-through closet. He sees his mom in the next room, spackling. What are you doing? Dad said I could find some of his old suits back here. Oh, you don't want those? Those are from when he was fat. Yeah, no, I know. That's what I want. Does he have a white one? I'm going for a look. Oh, uh... (laughs) Can you tape I, Claudius, tonight? Dad and I are going to the Fitzpatrick's. Uh, no, I can't. I'm, uh, I'm I'm also going out. With fish? Uh, No, with uh, Posey Childs uh, from Woodwind Quintet, uh, the oboe. Actually, yes. With a girl? Yes, wait. <laughs> Why is that a question? It's, it's not. But Posey is a girl. Yes. <laughs> wow. Oh, so do we need to have a conversation about... No, thank you. <laughs> John tries on an enormous white suit jacket. That looks terrible. Do you think there are pants? (laughs) We're interior of the Coolidge Corner movie house, night. Posey and John are watching David Lynch's Dune. (laughs) As various weird moments from that movie pass by, John tries to screw up the courage to hold hands and fails. Suddenly, it's the incredibly homoerotic scene in which Sting emerges from a steam bath and poses topless at length. John did not see this coming. He is mortified. Then Posey leans over to whisper to him, How's the gay test going? This movie is insane, right? (laughs) They continue to laugh. Some nerd shushes them. John effortlessly takes her hand. We're exterior at a nearby school playground. Posey and John sit on the swings. That jacket is really big. Yeah, I know. It's from... Uh, it's from the Talking Heads movie. Yeah. I got it. Oh. So, uh, are you going to be a professional oboist? No, I'm not good enough. I, I think you are. But you don't know anything about music. <laughs> <laughs> Look, everyone knows you're good at, like, everything, but you're not really a musician. Why do you even play the clarinet? Saxophone's such a cliche. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna quit soon. Just like Dan quit the French horn, and then the group will be over. How did you know I was gonna quit? It's just obvious, but it's fine. What are you gonna do instead? I don't know. Mainly, I just wanna move into this apartment, have it set up with my books, maybe a fern. <laughs> I think everything will fall into place after that. You're moving out of your house? What? No, no. The the apartment is inside my house. Paul, I mean, Mr. Ross is renting it for now. (laughs) Oh, but Mr. Ross is having a party tonight. Really? Wait, what? Tina told me. Tina the flautist? Yeah. She said, he, she said he's having a party in his apartment. 
That's my apartment. Let's go. Exterior John's house, evening. John and Posey ride up on bikes. They hear a party going on. A message to you, Rudy, by the specials is playing loudly. We're interior Paul's living room moments later. John and Posey enter. Paul is sitting in the hazy living room with a brandy snifter, surrounded by students, all girls, except for one boy, the bassoonist, who is taking notes. Now, this is not a ska song. This is a rock steady song. Oh, uh, hi there. May I talk to you? In Paul's bedroom moments later. What are you doing? Okay, I'm sorry I didn't invite you. This is my house. How did you think I wasn't going to know about this? Your mom told me you were going on a date. Good for you, by the way. You can't. You can't party with students. It's not a party. It's an advanced study group in good music with refreshments. And everyone is 17, I'm pretty sure. They're they're drinking and burning incense. John, that's pot. That's what that smells like? Gross. We're in Paul's living room. Posey weaves into the crowd and finds Tina on the couch smoking pot. Hey, what's up, nerd? Hi, Tina. You want some? No, thanks. Yeah, you need your lungs for the oboe. I just whistle. (laughs) You know, flu is stupid. Uh, You think I'm gonna argue? God, no. Flu is so stupid. I wanted to play the drums. Now, uh, high school's almost over, and I just, I really want to. Oh, nerd. <laughs> Don't waste your time the way that I did. Promise me. <laughs> I promise. We're in Paul's bedroom, continuous. Paul and John are peeking back into the party. See, everyone is having a good time. They like my music. That girl is crying, and now she's vomiting. <laughs> She's living and feeling, John. I live. I feel. They're testing themselves, breaking rules, kissing, fucking. Come on, Paul, language, please. It's what they should be doing. It's what you should be doing. Paul, what's wrong with you? No, John, what's wrong with you? I don't know! The sound of the front door opening and closing. Paul and John freeze. Shit, your parents! Right now you see, this is wrong! (laughs) Fucking shit! Stop swearing, you're a teacher! (laughs) Jesus, cock, what are we gonna do? In Paul's living room, Paul runs in and turns off the music. Everybody shh! John's parents are home! Everyone freaks out and then turns to John. He's the (laughs) grown-up. I've never been in trouble before. That's why we need you now. John looks at Posey. She's scared. Okay. Okay. John takes a breath and walks downstairs. We're in the first floor hall. We hear the theme from I, Claudius, from the TV room. In the TV room, John enters, but it is not his parents. It's Fitch, watching I, Claudius, raptly. Oh, shit. Caligula did it with his sister. No, he's eating the baby, Fitch. And, and what's with this lighting? You know, it looks like the whole Roman Empire is like it was shot in somebody's basement. Uh, what? <laughs> what are you What are you doing? I heard there was a party here. Why didn't you invite me? But it's not. It's Paul's party. He's up there starting a sex cult. Now that is amazing. No, it is not amazing. But now he's got to go, right? 
when your parents come home, he's, he's dead. You're right. I may be the first teenager in history who wants his parents to break up the party. There you go. Amazing. But we have to get Posey out of here first. She doesn't need all this trouble. What are you faggots up to? They turn to see Miles, older now, still small, but mean. <laughs> Miles? What? Miles? So you hang with this queer now? Okay, first, I don't even know if I'm gay. What? Not you, him. That guy's a well-known poop pusher. Well-known. <laughs> John takes a moment and studies Fitch. He sees him for the first time. Fitch shrugs. I tried to kiss him once back at the junkyard. He couldn't hack it. That's not true. I should waste you. I should fucking waste you. He attacks Fitch. John instinctively steps between them. No. Miles pushes forward. John calmly pushes back. No, Miles, stop. John doesn't know where he gets this reserve of strength, but he wears it naturally. (laughs) True story. True story. (laughs) Miles is actually cowed. I'm not here alone, you know. You think I'm alone? He seems very alone, but suddenly CJ walks in. I can smell the weed, but I can't find it. This house is a fucking garden of forking pads. <laughs> he sees John. Oh, hey, John, what's up? What? How do you even know my name? Peter at the junkyard, right? Good times. Where's the party? John doesn't know how to process CJ's affability. I can find it. I used to play here. They stalk off. John and Fitch stare at each other. John and Fitch stare at each other, adrenaline wearing off. I, Claudius, silent in the background. Funny old life, right? John is silent. I could have handled him, you know. It's happened before. I know. It doesn't matter. I had to. Well, thanks. They have a moment. Then, we flash forward 167 years. An incredibly elderly John waters a plant in a space station. We're interior of the space station. Subtitle, 167 years later. John gasps and drops the watering can. Oh my God, that was a date. (laughs) We... We immediately flash back to present day 1984. John is just staring stupidly. No problem. Suddenly they hear music blaring upstairs. I guess they found the party. In Paul's living room, John and Fitch return to Paul's living room. CJ has swapped out the ska for Sammy Hagar. Everyone is headbanging like crazy. Sammy Hagar? That's the hard stuff. Where's Paul? In Paul's bedroom, John finds Paul pacing frantically in his bedroom. They don't like my music. Kick them out. I tried. The short one said they'd call the cops on me. Can you... If you make me get rid of them, then you have to go. Tight. Okay. I won't say anything, but you're through here, Paul. You know it. I know. (laughs) This house... This town, school, you have to go. I know. Okay. Prepares to go out. I guess you're not 
Afraid of conflict after all, John. No, I'm just a super smart narcissist, period. (laughs) In Paul's living room, continuous, John enters and pulls the plug on the boombox. You guys all have to leave. Fuck that, we'll call the cops. That's a terrible plan, Miles. You're all drunk and using drugs. (laughs) We'll say that chicken hog creep gave them to us. No, this isn't his place. This is my place. This is my party. I invited you all over to talk about ska, and you brought pot, Miles, and it got out of hand. I'll say that to my parents. I'll say that to the cops. And I'll call your dad personally, Miles. Maybe he'll organize some talk therapy. Miles knows he's beaten. Okay, you heard him. Let's bring it to the pool at the Marriott. Kids start to file out Tina kisses John on the cheek CJ points at John admiringly Nicely handled, dude What? What goes on inside your head? (laughs) Roll them out (laughs) Everyone leaves Paul wanders in I'm gonna finish watching that show He exits Paul and John stand among the wreckage I uh, guess I'll go to the Marriott, too. I mean, to sleep, not to party. Okay, the Holiday Inn. Right. (laughs) John starts to tidy up. I know you think you want this. I'm an only child, too. I was a good kid. Went to college, married young. When I was a teenager in New York, I wore a suit and a tie and hung around Ayn Rand's apartment. (laughs) Okay, I'm not sure what that means. I wanted to be grown up because I was so scared of growing up. You think you want this apartment, but you don't. Because if you don't get messy now, it just gets messy later. John hands him his ska tape. Good luck, Mr. Ross. Paul leaves. John calls after him. Hey, have you seen Posey anywhere? We're interior John's bedroom. Posey has found the bedroom. She slips the next LP onto the stereo. It's heaven by the talking heads. John finds her there. Hi. Hi. I like your room. Oh, it's my old room now. (laughs) Dance with me? He comes in and they slow dance in that awkward teenage way. This is a really hard song to dance to. (laughs) Your suit smells like mothballs and pot. I love it. She looks at him. It's now or never. But they both know it will be never. (laughs) Sorry, Posey. It's it's not you. Something about this is just wrong. She smiles and also cries. I know it. Come on. Let's go clean up your apartment. They exit. The song continues as we see a short montage. Mom and Dad coming home. Finding John, Posey, and Fitch all asleep in front of I, Claudius. We see the sun rise in a new day. John plugging the selectric in at his desk beneath the skylight, adjusting a fern. Posey and the bassoonist watching Tina play the drums. Fitch walking through the high school cafeteria. We're interior of the high school cafeteria. Fitch joins John at a table. John's eating a sandwich. Sup? I tried to work on my memoir this morning before school, but then I didn't want to. You'll get back to it. Bitch, I'm sorry I didn't didn't know about you. Fuck it. Don't worry. You figure it out yet? I'm not gay, I don't think. 
I, I just think I'm terrified of all human emotion. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Totally. Anyway, there's a new girl. She just started. She's an only child. I bet you'd like her. Really? Who? Fitch points her out at the other end of the cafeteria. We don't know her name yet, but this is Kristen. Like John, she's by herself. And like John, she is played by an adult. She looks weird. (laughs) Come on, let's go sit with her. No, thank you. Fitch gets up. The rest is all teasing. You're a monster. You know that? Let him come with pitchforks. I'm used to it. We pull out as John eats happily alone. Ivor Cutler sings, I need nothing. I have everything I need. I walk along the dusty road, a donut in my hand. John Hodgman, everybody. Please give a round of applause to all of our wonderful actors. Especially to Abe, Sage, Samantha, and Abby. Thank you guys for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks to all of you for coming out. Thanks to John Hodgman. Thanks to Andrew Reich. Everyone at Sketchfest and everyone here at the Eureka. Enjoy the rest of the fest, everyone. Ty is a pedantic person. I think when he pronounces these words, it's, it's in a very show-offy way. Gyro. Gyro. Sacre bleu. Sacre bleu. Ayers Rock. Uluru. <laughs> <laughs> what you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with real cases. They call in via Skype to judge John Hodgman's court. The real people's court. Now I call you to judge John Hodgman's internet court. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. That's our show for this month. We would like to thank Janet Varney, David Owen, and Cole Stratton at the San Francisco Sketch Fest, Lee Unkrich and Didi Escobedo for their casting help, all of our performers whose names you'll find in the show notes, Thanks to Ethan Walter for help with the sound, Ted Leo for our theme song, and Courtney Hyde for our logo. Please subscribe on Maximum Fun or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And it would really help if you would leave us a rating somewhere in between 4.9 and 5.1 stars on iTunes if you get a chance. You can follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Dead Pilots Society. And until next month, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.